Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome one and welcome all back to the Moon Underwater. I, John Robbins, am the landlord of this mysterious tavern that reveals and conceals itself over here in the correct realm. And every week I invite a guest to create their perfect pub. With me to aid them is the lovely, the lovely Robin Allender. And our guest this week is comedian and podcaster Rachel Fairburn. Before we head back into Rachel's dream pub... We have the very, very significant matter of the Moon Underwater pub quiz to deal with. Robin, thoughts? Oh, thanks, John. Yes, the Moon Underwater pub quiz this week was about celebrity memoirs. I gave you the titles of three celebrity memoirs, and all you have to do is tell me who wrote them. So question one was Trowel and Error. Rachel, what are you saying for that? I think Alan Titchmarsh. You've gone for the titch. John? It's titch as well from me. Yeah, it's a double titch, and you're both right. Yay. Well done. Question two, slightly trickier. The end of an earring, Rachel. I know this. It's Pat St. Clement, who was Pat Butcher. Okay, John? Well, I'm going to have to be honest and say that I couldn't think of an answer for that, but I'm I'm pretty sure Rachel's right. Yes, Rachel is bang right. Yeah, it's Pam St. Clement, who <laughs> who played Pat Butcher at the end of an earring was named for a memoir. Well done, Rachel. And the last one was Kiss and Makeup. Rachel. I would say Gene Simmons from Kiss. You've gone Gene Simmons, John. I've also gone Golf Sierra on that one. <laughs> the GS. Well done, you're both right. But Rachel is the winner with three points. Woo! <laughs> a clean swoop. A clean there. sweep, yeah. Absolutely thrilled yeah. with that, genuinely. Trenta Percenta. Well done. Have you read any of those, Robin? Oh, yeah, yeah. Trowel and error. No, I think it's quite rude. I've got a feeling the Titchmarsh one's, like, really rude. He writes quite saucy books, doesn't That's he? That's it, yeah. He's yeah, written, he he's writes written... erotic fiction. That's it, I'm getting... <laughs> Do you think he made his own memoir erotic? <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone write an erotic memoir? Well, there was that book I bought you. What was that called? Oh, the... Um... Oh, I've got it here somewhere. But the, the, the artist who... Creates his own electronic sex machine. What? Oh. Do you remember? It's It was one of the big inspirations for Any Human Heart. Oh, what's it called? Keith Vaughan, his memoirs. Ah. And he's 
he's got he sort of makes reference to this vague electrical sex machine he's of his own design. Wow. I remember one year you got me um a book that was based on the lyrics of Christa Berg, like a vanity published book. Oh what? It was, <laughs> yeah. It was called The Mirror <laughs> The Mirror of the Soul. <laughs> It's very Debergian, yeah. I have still read it. I have got it, though. We haven't read it. Well, no wonder you're so... You've got such a blind spot for Debergian literature. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, we must return to Rachel Fairburn's Dream Pub. It's spooky. My goodness, is it a spooky pub. I can imagine a scythe on the wall. Oh, yeah. What do we think? What other spooky adornments could we have on the wall of a spooky pub? Or maybe it could be a bit like the slaughtered lamb with a pentagram. Oh yes. Mm. This is that the pub from American Werewolf in yeah. London. Yeah. 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 Maybe some like uh, I'd like some sort of those um, the horse brass things around the fire. Yes. They'd be nice pictures that have been there for years of people that are no longer alive and no one who knows who they are anymore. That kind of thing. The old landlords and landladies. Do you know what? What about a little plaque at the bar saying, Old Jim sat here? Oh, yeah. That'd be nice. I like those kind of things. Yeah. Old Jim could be the ghost and you can't sit in his chair because if you do, that's when he comes back to haunt you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure this is a question you've been asked an awful lot as a host of All Killer No Filler. And I'm massively guilty of this and I know Robin is as well. We have sort of this obsession with murderers, but were we to experience murder in our personal lives, it would be the most appalling, traumatic thing. So how do we, like, disassociate, and why do you think we disassociate ourselves when we're sort of, you know, guzzling down a documentary about a murderer? I'm not talking about all killer, no filler here, but do you think it is the only way to do that is you sort of forget the victims? Because otherwise it would be too traumatic. I don't think you do necessarily. I think, you know, it it is the worst thing a human being can do to another human being. And I think if you're not interested in it or not intrigued by it, then that's when there's something wrong with you, I think. I think anyone that's like, oh, you know, you hear about a terrible murder and if someone's like, oh, not interested, what's up with you? You should should be interested because it's like the worst thing that can happen to you, happen to someone else, or you could do. So it's, it's like... It's the most horrific thing a human can do. So I think as humans, we should... It's quite natural to be interested in it. I think it'd be very strange if you weren't. Do you think we're sort of almost... We use stories about, say, serial killers to, like, test our own morality and our own potential for... for, is, Is it comforting to know you couldn't do something that bad? I think it's different for women listening to it. I think women listen to it in the sense of, like... You know, you look at it from a point of view of like, oh God, imagine if, what if I was in that situation? Or like, what if someone was following me? Or what if, what if, what if? But I think maybe, I don't know, I think as well when you sort of, when you listen to something like, I don't know, but if you're reading about Myra Hindley and Ian Brady or, you know, couples who, Fred and Rose West, you think, how mad about somebody do you have to be to be able to do that? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that I find fascinating as, as a woman. Because I, I, I mean, no offence. I mean, lads, you pretty much are the main 
murderers. Big percentage of the old murderers. <laughs> but we, I mean, we women do do it, but we tend to do it either in couples or we do it like we we poison people for money. So you know, there's it's it's very specific. The two things, like women, don't really go out and go. Oh, I'm just going to go out and kill someone for a laugh. You know, we don't really do that. But I, I think it's quite normal to be interested in it. And I, but also I do think there is definitely that thing of like, oh my God, how do you end up doing that? Why would you do that? I think definitely, because um, I really like Gordon Byrne, the writer. Mm, Happy Like Murderers, yeah. brilliant book. Yeah, and the one about the Yorkshire Ripper, Somebody's Husband, it's a brilliant uh, book. Brilliant, yeah. yeah and I, I definitely, when I was reading those two, felt like, was questioning, why am I reading this kind of thing? But I think there's such good books about the kind of social contexts of those murderers. And and really, they're just, like, as you say, there's the fascination because unknowability is so interesting. Like the fact that you can't ever know what someone else is thinking. So when you find out that what they're thinking is and what they're doing is completely unimaginable, it's like, yeah, as you say, of course, it's fascinating. I don't know, but it's weird. I did have that weird thing where I was kind of having to defend myself reading them, but he's such a good writer. He was was an amazing writer. I mean, Happy Like Murderers, it's horrific, fascinating. It's probably one of the best true crime books ever written, I think. Happy Like Murderers. It's brilliant. Depressing. There was a very good series on the BBC recently called The Nilsson Files, it was from the perspective of Dennis Nilsson's victims and it was sort of the first ever, I think it was three-part documentary or two-part documentary about his victims, some of whom aren't even really named in a lot of the coverage of him. And it set it really well in the context of homophobia in the uh, 70s and 80s, especially in the police force and also the rising spectre of AIDS and how that affected people's attitudes towards these men who were often sort of no fixed abode so in and around Soho. And and I, I think it's probably a very similar attitude to uh, sex worker victims of murderers where they're actually genuinely seen as slightly less important. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Well, that's what, with the, the, the first, Yorkshire Ripper's first victim who wasn't a prostitute, in the papers it was, they said the first, real victim or something like that it was like wow. yeah, they said, yeah innocent that's what they'd say first innocent and when you see sort of that documentary that came out about it not so long ago when you hear people in the street talking about it as well like members of the general public are like oh well she wasn't she wasn't like, like the other women she was she was innocent and all that and it, it's so shocking when you think about it so shocking Anyway, what are your two favourite spirits? (laughs) 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 Two favourite spirits are 100% the first one has got to be Jack Daniels. Second one, now here we go again. Any gin, cheap gin, like Sainsbury's own London gin. I like the bottle. I love London. I like the picture of London on the bottle. Nice. And the reason I want cheap gin is because I don't like the way that gin has been gentrified. Mm. Ah, okay, yeah. I like gin to be what it is, a cheap drink that burns your throat, that stinks. In fact, I remember my granddad used to drink gin and I think it was blackcurrant or hot water or whatever it was he used to drink. And I remember the first time I smelt gin, because I was always allowed a little taste of 
alcohol as a kid. If my granddad was having a drink, he'd go have a little sip of that, however. And I also remember my mum teaching me about alcohol. She gave me a bottle of hooch when I was about 14 and it, it nearly knocked my head off and I thought, I'm never drinking, but that changed. But I remember the first time I smelt gin and I was thinking, oh my God, I can't believe adults drink this. This is disgusting. I'll never drink alcohol. It smelled, It reminded me of nail varnish remover. And now I I really like it. And I think the cheaper, the better with gin. I don't want all these little juniper berries in it. I don't want pink gin. Not interested. Just give me the most bitter tasting gin. That's what I want. It's weird with gin how the difference in taste between if you just poured gin into a mug and if you made a martini where people sort of make a big fuss about how little vermouth they like in it. Like, in terms of, like, a class divide, they're the two most different drinks, but they're exactly the same drink. It's basically neat gin. Mm. Yes. So you're sort of taking a more, like, Mother's Ruin, Hogarth sort of... Yes! You know, there's just people in the street drinking gin out of tin cups. They're getting paid in gin... Yeah, I mean, I, this is the other thing I find fascinating that about gin, the fact that it's been it's been a right bastard, hasn't it, gin? I mean, if you think about it, all the people... Like, in London especially, in the East End, back in Victorian days, you know, women doing sex work, spending all the, the money they'd earn on gin because there was nothing better to do and they are addicted to it. And it, what was it? Gin was, like, the cheapest drink available. I'd love to know what the gin back then actually tasted like. Because gin now, I can't imagine drinking it neat. I wonder if it was slightly weaker or slightly sweeter. But you're right in that it's had a remarkable image change from that type of gin to like Dr. Abernathy's (laughs) fantastical (laughs) gin emporium. Yeah. With a guy on a penny farthing and it's, you know. But then gin's also got the the sort of the history of empire in it as well. The sort of uh, Indian connection. It's this got a lot of sort of a lot of different brand influences going around in gin. Bombay Sapphire. Which was invented in the 90s by a vodka company, yeah. Because <laughs> they, they, they realised that, like, people were turning to things like Absolute Vodka and Smirnoff and they were like, well, we need a, we need a gin that's cool. So they just invented Bombay Sapphire. Did quite a good job. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah done well. So Jack Daniels and Sainsbury's own London gin. What do you drink your Jack Daniels with when you're out and about? Diet Coke it used to be. That see that used to be my drink when I was you know, when I started going out when I was younger, I started going to nightclubs like the indie clubs in, in Manchester and stuff like that. It was Jack Daniels and Diet Coke because I thought, oh it's rock and roll. And then I, I I do like the taste of it as well. But now if I have Jack Daniels I just drink it with soda water. Because I like the taste. You like the taste of old uh, Juliet Delta. Well, I have to say, this is no judgment on your choices, but you have picked two of what would be my Desert Island nightmare drinks. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I think if I if I rocked up on a desert island to find Peroni and Jack Daniels, I'd, I'd just walk back out into the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what, though? Wow. I don't think I've ever had Jack Daniels. Haven't you? No. I But I'm a fan of bourbons. I really like that maker's mark. Jack Daniels is my teenage party being sick drink that everyone has. For a lot of people, it's cider. For me, the smell of Jack Daniels. And it's weird because I'm not someone who would claim to be able to tell the difference between different whiskies, but I can smell Jack Daniels at a, a good 20 yards. Wow. Te- tequila's the one for me. 
I just tequila, even it, it, I feel sick now just saying it. I'm not a fan of it. It's it sort of I can the smell of it stays in your nostril. It, it, when you've had it stays in your nose for for days. The smell of it, you're know, like a dead body or something. <laughs> I um I can't drink the drink for me that I two drinks Southern Comfort. No, thank you. And uh, I don't know. So this is what happened. So when I was obviously when I was younger, I was going out. When I left school, so I was 16, left school, and I was going to my first sort of party around at my friend's house. And my mum, being the responsible parent she is, was like, well, I'll drop you off and I'll let me know in the morning, I'll pick you up this... And, and I'll let me buy the alcohol for you so I know what you're drinking. Now, I didn't know anything about booze, really, um, because when we started going out, we were like 16 and we just used to get... We just asked for whatever we thought we could get in the pub, you know, like a bottle of... Genuinely, a bottle of, like, a can of special brew, like... We didn't know what we were doing. We used to talk as if, pretend we had kids at the bar so we'd get served. <laughs> so we'd pretend, like, oh, did you get the babysitter? Like, you know, that kind of conversation. So That's weird. Great. So, Perno. Why did I ask my mum to get me Perno? I hate aniseed. I didn't really know what it was. I think one of my friend's mums probably drank it, so she said, oh, get a bottle of Perno. So I got that for the party. Pretty much drank all of it. And I remember the next day I was so ill. I drank so much uh, and my young, fragile body, uh, I, I gave myself a bladder infection. Bloody hell. <laughs> really? Yes. I had to go to the doctors. Probably still pissed from what I drank the night before. I just remember being in such agony. And they were like, yeah, well, you, you sort of... Basically, the system couldn't take it, and I gave myself this bladder infection. It is so weird. There needs to be more kind of education about this. Because, like, I mean, it's probably a lot better now, but I remember in sixth form going out for maybe one of the first times at a club, and I thought what you had to do was order a different drink each time. Like, I thought that was what you did, (laughs) because you tried them all, you know? (laughs) So, like, I had a beer and a cider, then a vodka, and then a whiskey, like, oh, God. really, what was I thinking? You think there needs to be better education about how bars work? Well, just like, if you do this, you're going to make yourself very ill. Like, treat yes. it with respect, you know. Yes, yeah. good point. Did you ever complete a bar? No, not really. But the other the other one when you're young is like those 2020 things. They, they're only drunk by t- teenagers, aren't they? Yeah, I'm not even sure. Do they still have 2020? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that recently. Wow. In a, I think the shop, Sambros near me, the shop that sells everything, they've got 2020. How times don't change. Yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, well, we head now into the uh, very sort of leather-bound uh, zone of the Moon Underwater, the pub library, where Robin is going to induct a new tome. Robin. Mm. That's interesting. Mm. Thanks, John. This week in the pub library, it's Derek Mann, who's a fantastic Northern Irish poet. He died a couple of years ago, which is very sad, but he's one of the best poets, I think, of the 20th century and 21st. Do you know his poem, Disused Shed in County Wexford? Very famous poem. No. How do you spell Mann? M-A-H-O-N. Okay, cool. That's just a beautiful poem. It's very famous. It's very, very powerful. But this is just a short one of his called uh, Dream Days, which I've chosen because it mentions a pub. Uh, So I'll read it now. It's called Dream Days. 
When you stop to consider the days spent dreaming of a future and say then, that was my life. For the days are long, from the first milk van to the last shout in the night, an eternity. But the weeks go by like birds, and the years, the years fly past, anti-clockwise, like clock hands in a bar mirror. Good stuff. <laughs> it's a bit like the um, Larkin poem, I think, isn't it? Yeah, what are days for? Mm. Long lion days. But also, the clock in the bar mirror going backwards is an amazing uh, sort of expression of time wasted in pubs. <laughs> Definitely. That's why I liked it. Yeah, and all, but I do really like that idea that days go slowly, but the kind of weeks and years go faster. Mm. You know, that kind of strange feeling as you get older. But yeah, that, I just love that kind of image of time being like a, a clock you're seeing in a bar mirror. Yeah, and also the Larkin poem I have started to say. Yes, that's the one. I, yeah, I was thinking of that as well, yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Great. So what's the name of the collection, Rob? Well, I've just got the selected poems here, but that poem's called Dream Days. But I mean, he's so good. I mean, like we had this great tutor at uni called Peter MacDonald, and he he thought Derek Mann, you know, was one of the best poets ever. But you just go through this book, there's so Leaves is a brilliant one tell you who Peter MacDonald didn't think was one of the best poets ever. <laughs> Johnny J.R. It was me when I went to his poetry uh, class for uh, a couple of terms. Yeah, they'd never seen the like. I mean, was that your Lord of the Rings poem? Yeah, there was the Lord of the Rings poem, a couple of um, really bad poems about girls I fancied, realised that wasn't really the standard. Pardonable follies, that's what you know. Pardonable follies, yeah. thank you. So we add uh, selected poems of Derek Mann to the Moon Underwater Pub Library. Uh, but we haven't just got a library here, uh, Rachel. I think we're stuck in the past and we're all fuddy-duddies. Uh, couldn't be further from the truth. We've actually got a jukebox which plays compact discs. Because uh, wow. we're at the absolute cutting edge of the latest tech. And uh, we ask every guest to add an album to the Moon Underwater jukebox. What do you want to hear when you're coming into your uh, dream pub? Well... It's going to be definitely maybe by Oasis. <laughs> nice. Huge fan, massive Oasis fan. Do you know what? It's, Oasis are probably one of the biggest parts of my life and I have been the thing, one of the most constant things in my life since I was 12 years old. I love them, cannot get enough of them. Definitely maybe is a faultless album. I still get excited when I listen to it, when you hear Rock and Roll Star. It's like, yes, here we go, let's have it. So it's got to be definitely maybe. Can I tell you my Oasis theory, which is that Ooh. they went downhill when Tony McCarroll left <laughs> because they needed a... Re- I think I've said this on the pod, on the, in the Moon Underwater before, but they needed just that basic drummer and he was really good. Yes. Do you know what? He was, there was absolutely nothing wrong with him. I do think he was treated very unfairly. Yeah. But like definitely maybe and half of Morning Glory are amazing and I hate the rest I'm afraid sorry <laughs> well listen I, as time went on I mean standing on the shoulders of giants I remember when that came out and I remember going to HMV after school and I was so excited to get it and I got it and I got it home because I, I used to live with my grandparents I got my granddad's like CD player and I put it in and I was like and then about three songs and I was like oh no <laughs> <laughs> And I had to force myself to like it, and then it grew on me. Everything, there's always something good on everything, but let's not get into that. Sure, let's just sure. enjoy, definitely, maybe, Yeah. for the, the gem that it is. Yeah, it's brilliant. I'm not an Oasis guy by any 
stretch, but you do sort of have to respect the fact there are very, very few bands that have such a sort of place in public consciousness, even quite a long time after they've sort of stopped releasing stuff. So there aren't many bands that you could look at someone and say, you're into this band. Unless it's like young people dressing like all the latest bands are. But in terms of, I could meet someone and go, I bet you like Oasis. <laughs> yes. But not just because of the clothes you're wearing, but because of your vibe. Yes. It's like you're in a little club. Mm. You, it's it's brilliant. Like, you know, I love Oasis. I always have, always will. And when I meet people, like Paul McCaffrey. When I first met Paul, I'm like, of course he likes Oasis. You know, we chat about Oasis all the time. We send each other little screenshots of stuff. Have you seen what Liam's up to? Have you heard what Noel said? <laughs> We're still very involved, you know. And the thing is, most of my actual close mates are not into Oasis, but they respect the fact that I am. And they, you know, they can involve themselves in my world as well. They talk to me about Oasis. They'll say, have you seen what Liam's done recently? What do you think about this? You know, I, I, it's it's such a big part of my life. Love it. I, I always say this about Definitely Maybe as well. It's it's kind of easy to forget the context because they were, it was genuinely different when it came out. You like think of them because of all the later albums. They were sort of, oh, boring dad rock. But Definitely Maybe was like, those early singles were like really like wow. B sides. The B sides are great, yeah. Because the great thing about them was there, there was that kind of magpie like thing where they're like nicking little bits from other songs. There was influence from like late eighties, early nineties dance culture in the way that the songs were kind of long and got into kind of hypnotic grooves. And so, as, as part of the kind of musical culture of ninety three, ninety four, it was really fascinating and interesting. And then when the whole Britpop thing in 95, it was just, I think the wheels fell off a bit. But it's, it's easy to forget that they were like a genuinely exciting new band. Yes, and you, it's not going to happen again. You'll never have an Oasis again. You will never have it. You'll never have a working class band like that ever again. It's not going to happen. I've heard more conversations about Oasis than any other band I don't listen to. Watch Nebworth, man. Yeah, yeah, I'll watch. I'll watch Nebworth '86. Thank you. Uh, when people still knew knew how to bang out a tune, um, but it, it's the conversations that Ellis and our producer on Five Live, Dave, have about Oasis are almost entirely coat based. <laughs> yeah, obsessed with Noel's coats. Yeah, 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 and Liam's coats. And, and Ellis can tell you the brand and like model number of a coat from a specific gig. That's impressive. I like that. But is that a big thing in? Is there's a big coat scene in Manchester, isn't there? Co- coats, <laughs> coats are a big thing. Like I think, um, I think clothes in general are a big thing, particularly for. I think I'd say, as, as speaking as one, a, a working class Mancunian, clothes have always been a big part of. Um, you know, looking good's always been a big thing. That that's it's it's always been a given. You know. You'll never find a working class northern Mancunians in particular looking scruffy, like very particular about your clothes. Very like even my nephew now, who's ten, he's always as he puts it, he loves his clobber, like loves his clothes. Really particular about things. Really looks after stuff. Is that sort of relate? I guess it dates back to that mod thing of clean living in difficult circumstances. Yeah, I think like, so. Of like really putting in an effort before you go out, even if you haven't got a pot to piss in. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, it goes on, definitely maybe, uh, on the jukebox here at the Moon Underwater. We come now to your final choice. Just a recap in this uh, dream pub slash walkabout. Uh, we've got Moretti, Peroni. We've got Jack Daniels, Sainsbury's own brand London gin. We've got definitely maybe blaring out. I mean, this is, you're going to have a good night here. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm not quite sure it fits with the sort of coastal smugglers <laughs> haunted pub. No, but... But that's, that's the dream. You get a bit of both. Yeah. You get the best of both worlds. Um, <laughs> what's going to be your wild card choice? Uh, tea. Oh, this is... I don't, we've never had tea before. No. Well, now I, I am off the booze at the moment, as a lot of people are. I'm having a, a bit of time off it. And I'm feeling great for it, to be honest, which I'm, I'm, I'm shocked about. Because uh, I realise that I dr- I've, I've drank longer than I've not drank, if that makes sense. So uh, I'm trying to be a bit healthier. Now, tea is hands down my favourite drink. I drink probably about 12 cups of tea a day. Whoa. Do you have sugar? No, yeah. no sugar. Cru- crucial if you pack in that much tea in there. Two tea bags. Leave the tea bags in. Two tea? You're a double bagger? Yeah, double bagger. Whoa. I'm a double bagger, but one regular, one Earl Grey, which is slightly less sort of cool. Ooh, that's a bit different. Oh, it's so I nice. Like that. I might, I might give that a go. So I, I love it, love tea. Now I used to be that person that was like, oh, look at these people ordering hot drinks in the pub. Oh, they make me sick. Oh, what a bunch of wankers, right? I've changed my mind on that because now I, I'm not drinking as much and I, I sometimes want a cup of tea in the pub. Uh, <laughs> so it's tea, it's my favourite drink. I physically cannot get enough of tea. I drink it all through the day. I can drink, you know, people say, oh, you shouldn't drink it before you go to bed. I drink tea before I go to bed. No problems. I can go to sleep. I crave it if I don't have mm. it. It's got to be tea. Yorkshire, Yorkshire tea. Oh, so specifically Yorkshire tea. Well, Yorkshire, or, well, I say that. I, I was I was once, uh, I can say that now because I was, I was the uh, voice of a cat on a Tetley tea advert. Um, and I do drink Tetley, uh, but Yorkshire does have the edge, I have to say. And I love tea so much that whenever I'm away gigging, I always make sure that I have tea bags in my suitcase and I always buy a pint of milk on the way to the hotel because there's never enough. I mean, I've only relatively recently got into the whole cup warming scene. Oh. Do you do, you do that? Do you, do you warm, the, warm the cup before? I really think it makes a difference. Okay. I might, I might, I might give that a go. I just whack it in, though. All I'm going to say is, Rob... That if you're boiling a kettle, because you really want to be brewing tea, I would guess about ninety degrees or eighty-five. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I think I would, I would guess that the the cup taking away some of that heat from the boiling water might leave your tea in slightly better nick. But you certainly have to warm the cup when you're making a pot, because otherwise that process is happening twice. I see what you mean. It's become a ritual now. That's nice. Mm, that's nice. Yeah, I like that. Have you ever got? kind of sniffy uh, reactions from bar staff when you're ordering tea in a pub? No, because what I tend to do is if I know <laughs> I want a hot drink, I tend to send someone else to the bar to get it. Um, <laughs> I hate doing it. I, I always chicken out. I'll, I'll be like, oh, can I just have a lime and soda, please? I, I just cannot. I, I don't know why. I just hate it. Okay, Yorkshire Tea, the wild card selection. Uh, we now head off 
into a sort of um, what's what's like a mist but not a mist, Robin. Smog. Smog. Well, no, because that's bad for your health. It's more a fog. It's like a low-lying fog of uh, the moon underwater where we ask our guests to pick their dream pub companion. And you're only going to get to hear this if you are subscribed on Patreon. You can head over to moonunderpod.com to click through to the Patreon link. And uh, you get all sorts of other benefits, including the bonus podcast Behind the Cellar Door, where Robin and I visit the pub within the pub within the mind. It's a quite a, quite an experience. Uh, but for those Johnny-come-fly-be-nightlies who uh, would rather not do that, which is absolutely fine, we will see you back very shortly. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right, we're back, folks, and what a lovely chat uh, we had, uh, not just about uh, Rachel's Dream Pub Companion, but also about rare books. These are the sorts of places we're taken in the Pub Companion choice. It's been a delight having you here, Rachel. Uh, We wish you all the best for the new podcast, Ghoul Guide, and also for your upcoming tour. What's the tour show called? Uh, it's, It's my Edinburgh show, Can I Be Awful? And it's the tour starts on the 21st of January in Newcastle. And then it goes all to, to all the usual places. People know where to find it. And how long are you touring for? I think it's just, it's two months, I think. Oh, lovely stuff. Nice. Yeah. Well, we wish you all the best with that. 
Uh, and also do check out All Killer No Filler, of course. Uh, but we have two small bits of admin here uh, before we let you go back to the other realm. First off, what are you barring from your dream pub? You're barred. Easy. Children. <laughs> there you go. They're, they're getting quite a few votes in this section. I like children. I do like children. I don't want my own children, but I like children. I used to be a child. Of course I like children. But a pub is a place for adults. And, and I know it's not the children's fault because it's, it's just bad parenting. It's not a crash. When you have children, there's certain parts of your life that you have to give up. And unfortunately, it's Friday nights in the pub mainly. So when I go in a pub on a Friday evening, on a rare Friday off, and it's eight o'clock and there's children in there, I'm like, I don't think so. I don't want them in there. I think if there's if if it's an establishment that serves alcohol, no. Go to a wacky warehouse. <laughs> That's for you. Just sneak a bottle of wine into soft play. Yeah. I was saying to John the other day, one of the most depressing sights in a pub is when a, a, there's a child who's learning to walk and the and the and the mum or the dad is kind of like walking them around with the, the two hands like a kind of puppet. And they're kind of looking at you going, oh, God, what's she like? <laughs> I cannot abide it. I'm so sorry. I've just become more intolerant as this as the moon underwater has gone on and on. But I'm so sorry. If you bring kids to pubs, sorry. No, they just it ruins the, the vibe. It ruins the atmosphere. It's, it's a place for adults. You know, I, I want. if you're in a pub, you should be free to swear, talk about whatever you want. You know, I tell you what would be good to bring back. Lots of pubs used to do that thing like no, af, no kids after six or so. that. So that's a quite a good rule. No, or no, no, none of that. No. Doesn't want it. No. Doesn't don't, want it. Don't want them in there at all. Go away. Go somewhere else. First, they came for our pizza expresses, and I did nothing. <laughs> um, it is tricky. It's a divisive issue because, as people have pointed out it can unfairly uh, penalise women um, from pub access. But then why isn't the bloody guy staying at home with the kid and well, let, exactly. letting, um, letting the other half go out yeah, and enjoy wh- wh- themselves? Wh- why, why is it suddenly like, sorry, the woman's meant to yeah. look after the... I know. don't think so. No. Take it, you know. Like, I get it. I get it. And, and I don't want anyone to be excluded from the pub apart from children. Yeah, fair enough. And this is your pub. They're just in the way. You set the rules and regs. Thank you. Hurry up, please. It's time. Finally, we need a name. What are we going to call this incredible mixture of the uncanny, <laughs> the 17th century Frankenstein and Moretti and Peroni? I just love the idea of, like, you know, someone's maybe fit filming a kind of most haunted or something there and then all of a sudden columbia comes on the jukebox really loud yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's perfect it's perfect um well i I really like um you know i like ghosts obviously i like anything supernatural i like uh folklore so i'm gonna call the pub the black shook oh black shook that dog don't give a yes yeah so black shook is a lot of people might know it's um it's a supernatural dog that appears mainly in sort of uh, sort of Anglia and the southwest in the countryside and on moors. 
the influence for Hound of the Baskervilles, actually. Mm. Um, sometimes an omen of death or bad luck. Sometimes they have red, fiery eyes, but they're very scary. And if you're in a pub, nice and cosy and warm, you wouldn't want to leave if, in case you went out and there was a black shuck yeah, there. Yeah, nice. I have to say, when you look Black Shook up in your mind... Yeah, the Darkness song. No, the the image they've used on Wikipedia for the Black Shook is one of the least scary images <laughs> I've <laughs> ever seen. <laughs> it looks like the sort of, um, like a sort of luminous fridge magnet you'd have, um, you'd have... Do you know the Darkness song, Rachel? I don't know these, no, oh, I didn't. First, actually... on, yeah, on the first album, because they're from, I can't remember where they're from, uh, southeast somewhere, but... Um, oh. Yeah, they they've got the, the song on the first album called Black Shuck, and the lyric the lyric goes Black Shuck that dog don't give a fuck, but when they when they played it live on the radio they changed the lyrics to that dog, that dog don't give a hoot. It's really good. It doesn't rhyme at all. <laughs> one of the um, most note according to my mind one of the most notable reports of Black Shuck is. Uh, an appearance at the churches of Bungie, which is where uh, Alan Partridge's caller, who forgets his, who gets the present without the power pack, is from <laughs> Bungie. Yeah, Roy from Bungie, Bungie. <laughs> and the darkness from Lowestoft. East Suffolk. Ah. Yeah. There you go. Apparently, Justin Hawkins is a really lovely guy. Yes. Yeah. He's got, he does a good YouTube uh, channel. Uh, very good. Uh, very good value on Cameo. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Really puts the I effort. Forgot in. about Cameo. Yeah. Well, Black Shook, uh, great name for a pub, especially a spooky pub. So thank you, Rachel, so much. Uh, the Black Shook is yours uh, to take with you wherever you need it the most to haunt you in a pleasant way um, by providing you with access to your favourite pub. So we bid you farewell. Best of luck with the tour and the new podcast. And to everyone listening to our murmurations, until next time, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.